RadioInfluence.com What is up? Welcome into another edition of the MMA Report Podcast. I am Jason Ford. Of course, as always, I'm joined by my guy, Daniel Galvan. Daniel, appreciate uh, me talking a little mixed martial arts action with you. Of course, uh, I made the trip up to Tallahassee last weekend and so I uh, had, had a good time at graduation. I, I got to ask you something. If you're at a college graduation and the president talks about how he's going to quote one of his uh, favorite poets, Drake, about how you made it from the bottom and now you're here, no way he wrote that line. Somebody in the president's office wrote that line for him. No way. Look, all I got to say is, Jason, you don't want an older man ad-libbing right look at bob huggins on terrestrial radio that did not end up too well for the former west virginia coach so honestly once you get past your 50s and your 60s you got to get that young intern to write your references for you but uh yeah i uh, i died inside just listening to that i have so much cringe but yes if you are a president of a university and you are over the age of 55 or 60 and i'm assuming his skin complexion is in fact white you probably shouldn't be quoting Drake. I don't know if I got any of my facts wrong. I'm just assuming. I mean, it, I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. I mean, it was, you know, the, the commissioner speaker was a former FSU women's basketball coach. I thought she did a great job. She was she was probably up there about 20 minutes. I, I was really enjoying it. I, the, the funniest thing that she said was she goes, hey, I had to recruit before there was NIL. I was like, oh, that's a good line. Yeah, people are going to be saying that for years and years. I wonder if that's a paid gig, the uh, the commencement speaker. Oh, it has to. Or be, has do you think? I, I I would I would imagine it has to be. You see, we got to get to that level of popularity, Jason, to be a commencement speaker. I mean, which MMA fighter do you think would give the best commencement speech? Like, which one? Not the most entertaining. Which one's going to motivate you to oh, to to, to, I, to I, need, I, I need a little bit of both, though. You, you know, yeah. you know who you know who the first name that came to me. I mean, literally, I was just thinking about entertaining. I feel like Michael Bisming would be hell of entertaining in that role. And honestly, he would probably be the best of both worlds. He'd probably give you something like he would probably talk about like the adversity he faced in his life. With I mean, he has so many different ways. Like he became a champion. The situation with his eye, so well spoken. That's a honestly, that's a great answer. And then yeah, I would love to see a Nate Diaz commencement speech. It would probably have to be in California. But uh, I would certainly love that. Or uh, man, honestly, Brock Lesnar. Give me a Brock Lesnar commencement speech. I want to see him outside of his show. Hey, no, no, no. What do you think a Dana White commencement speech looks, speech looks like? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see him. I'm sure he'll give one at Liberty University next year. But uh, I think uh, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to hear him uh, talk. And I'm sure he'll definitely. Oh, he should give a speech at a journalism school. Good Lord. I, dude, could you imagine him doing a speech at a journalism school? Oh, God. I would oh. pay I would pay to watch that. I would pay. Yeah. I, I would, would rather well. pay for that than to get these power slap emails I keep getting. What happened? What, what email? What what did they give you? What oh, they they, their power slap two is coming up. Of course, you know, you can watch it on Rumble. But, of course, I mean, if you listen to Dana White, you believe everything that comes out of Dana White's mouth, how the social media metrics are, are for power slap are greater than every other organization out there. I'm like, did him and Chartree get together this week? Did, did, did those two guys get together about uh, the crap you can say to the media and just expect everyone to believe you? Look, man, I don't give a crap what social media metric he has. 
If I go into a bar, if I go into anywhere, a grocery store, I'm like, can any of you name a slap fighter? I'm gonna have zero people tell me names of slap fighters, right? Dude, you got you got a better chance of like I'm gonna say this. Bellator, don't hate me. You got a better <laughs> chance of a Bellator fighter getting named. Yeah, and they might mistake the Bellator fighter as someone who's still in the UFC, but you're certainly right. And it's like if you're comparing yourself with like the NFL or NBA, like people know who LeBron James are. People know who uh, Patrick Mahomes is. I don't know the name of a single power slap fighter. So get your social media metrics, turn it around, and shove it where the sun don't shine because it don't mean a damn thing if your product isn't resonating with people where they don't even know who's in it. You know, me and you are the hardcore of the hardcore. We can't name any power slap fighters other than maybe Tim Sylvia. Oh, God. Jesus, yeah. I... Yeah. Can I can I just say, by the way, uh, it sucks that we did the May draft and already one week you won, right? Like, the, my main event is Burns and Muhammad. Oh my God, my fans are going to be leaving by the droves, Jason. So it just sucks. Like one weekend, like I'm watching this UFC card and I'm seeing, you know, uh, uh, Frivola and um, Dober. I'm like, that's a good scrap. I'm going to pull off the upset for Jason who had that number one overall pick and he picked Sterling Zahudo. Oh no, Burns Muhammad. Oh my God, I saw this fight. I'm like, well... It's on to June because Jason won the month of May when it comes to the fight picks. You already won. I don't care what else happens. I, I, I mentioned this tweet, mentioned about Bilal Muhammad from Sean O'Shaughnessy. He had a great tweet where he said, Bilal Muhammad just risked five years of momentum on short notice against a true killer in a, in a spot where his title hopes would have been forever tanked with a loss. Whether you enjoy it or not, this man is a proper number contender and deserves respect. And that's a spot-on tweet by Sean there because, yeah, he did risk it all. Goes in on short notice, comes in, and he admits after the fact, an uh, interview with John Morgan, that, yeah, he had a bummed ankle going into this one, still takes the fight, makes weight, and goes out there and go at Burns, uh, you know, it's, uh, what's a shoulder injury in the first round that he suffers there. But, I mean, look, not the most exciting fight, but if you're below Muhammad, you're now in a great position. I mean, you're going to... We'll see what happens with Leon Edwards and Colby Covington. I saw Colby Covington was uh, once again on the media uh, train this week with his the usual spots that he goes to. But, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> the thing I, I laugh about the Colby Covington thing is he truly thinks like he calls the shots when this, this fight's going to be. He might actually do it, Jason. I'm not sure. I mean, it seems like he's got the UFC by the gonads, really. It's it does seem like they are being dictated whenever Colby wants is whenever it's going to happen. So, you know, Colby may be a bit delusional, Jason, but he may be right. I mean, Bilal Muhammad's probably going to have to win 300 fights in a row to get a, get a championship opportunity. I, I, I see what Sean is saying. Bilal deserves respect, especially when you take into account the fact that he was on Ramadan, which I did hear about 450 times. But that's crazy that you fast for a month and then you fight one of the best welterweights in the world. Here's the problem with Bilal. Simply put, he has this incredible resume, but casual fans don't have any strong opinions about him. 
A casual fan doesn't have a hardcore Bilal Muhammad take. A casual fan doesn't have a bunch of memories of Bilal Muhammad knockouts or impressive performances. There's the great win over Sean Brady. He has a couple other uh, – he has like one or two other finishes. So for Muhammad, his biggest problem is despite his incredible win streak, there aren't a lot of casual fans that believe in him as a real title challenger. He obviously deserves the next championship opportunity, Jason. But I'm telling you, the difference between a buy rate of Edwards and Colby and Edwards and Muhammad, uh, that's a pretty big gap. All right. Who has the better resume, Colby Covington or Bilal Muhammad? It's so, closer for, than you think. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, let's just go back to looking at the UFC run of Colby Covington. Just looking at the wins here. Notable wins. Damian Maya. RDA was still a notable win in 2018. Then you, you start to look at his last three wins. You're, you're talking about fighters who are on the tail ends of their career. Robbie Lawler, Tyron Woodley, Jorge Masvidal. Now you look at below Muhammad on the other side. When you look at what he's done here, you know, since that no contest against Leon Edwards, Damian Maya, Stephen Thompson, Vicente Luque, Sean Brady, and now Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns is clearly I, the marquee win. Yeah, the problem with the Gilbert Burns win is he 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 lost a limb like two minutes into the fight. So for Muhammad, it's like finish this dude, look more impressive. The thing is, Muhammad threw a shutout, so I can't criticize it too much. He he threw a shutout. He's technically amazing. I have more confidence in the idea of Muhammad becoming a welterweight champion over Colby against Leon. Well, gosh, the rest is an interesting part though. But I do think Bilal is probably a more well-rounded fighter than, than Colby for sure. Um, for Covington, his most impressive fight is the loss to Usman. Like his loss to Kamara Usman to me is almost more impressive mm-hmm, yeah. than a lot of what Muhammad has on his resume. Because similar to you know Cejudo and Sterling, Usman and Covington, that was a close racer-thin fight that could have gone either way. And it exhibited that Colby's a really, really good striker. Still, though... You look at Bilal's stand-up. It's not the most exciting in the world, but he does such a good job of evading his opponent and scoring himself. So all the credit to Muhammad. He does deserve a championship fight. He is 34 years old. He's not getting any younger. I just want to point out that in the real world, people aren't caring about him because he hasn't made that many memories when he's had the chance. The Sean Brady win is a good one. It really is. I, I want to stress that. Yeah. But Muhammad had a really boring co-main event. There's no one that watched that co-main event and thought, damn, I can't wait to see uh, these two fight again. That fight sucked. And it, the problem with that fight is that it was on the same main card as Cron Gracie and, Jord- and, and uh, uh, Jordan, and that fight sucked. It was a long... <laughs> Cron Gracie fight is like 1995. Yeah, you could actually see a uh, 10% of Kron's ass still on the uh, still on. I'm glad he wiped so he wouldn't have poop marks on the octagon canvas because Jesus, the amount of butt scooting that Kron did. Oh man, I felt like such a dumbass uh, like two minutes into that fight. He regressed so badly from the cup fight. He really did, dude. Yeah, four. I mean, four years, almost four years away, and 
and that's what you go out there and do. And, and we were talking about this right before we uh, got recording of the show here. It's kind of crazy to think about when you had five fights on this UFC 2 d pay-per-view. And if, if we would have sat here last week and said, all right, here's our bull prediction for UFC 288. The only stoppage on the main card will be in the strawweight match between Jan Janan and Jessica Andrade. If we would have sat here, people would have ridiculed us. Yeah, and they would have ridiculed us, especially if we told you it wasn't going to be Andrade who got the finish, right? Like, Andrade at least has that reputation of probably being the best woman strawweight at finishing fights. That being said, the only fight, and it's Jan getting the job done, what a shocker. But, but, bro, you look at Jessica's striking defense and her lack of head movement, it's not that big of a shocker, man. I, but I think it's also, I think you guys start looking at Jessica Andrade, a fire announcement in the UFC for a decade. And even though she's only 31 years old, you got to kind of want her regressing a little bit. But I, I just go to best fight odds. If you took Yan Janan, just you said Yan Janan via TKO KO, plus 750. If you were just feeling you know crazy and you went Yan Janan wins round one, bro, anywhere from plus 1200 all the way up to plus 1500 if you had that ticket good luck man awesome for you awesome for you if you had that ticket let me let me ask you dude so like obviously the UFC's gonna want to do yan and, and zhang for the championship yes they probably in that, china yes. would make would make probably all the sense china. in the world it'll probably be at the apex okay <laughs> China's not going to pay him the site fee. Yeah, I, I just snuck that in. Oh, you're right there going, uh, oh, yeah. You know, I was, you know, watch, watch oh, China won't pay for us to come. So, all right, your main event, an Apex card. I know, right? I know. Dude, yeah, they won't pay the site fee. Nah. Uh, who's your pick in that fight? Like, what's your feel on that fight between Yan and, 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 and Wei Li? Like, that's a fight that I never really thought about could have happened and here we are it's right in front of us and it makes all the sense in the world i would still sigh wiley in that one i kind of agree with you man she's kind of more proven but you know yan and, and i i think what i'm excited about is i feel like that one might go the distance and be like a really <laughs> awesome fight i just i just pulled up yan Shanon's, uh wikipedia page prior to ufc 288 the last time she scored a stoppage victory we got to go to April 16th, 2016, Road FC 30. Sohee Leem, a TKO in the first round, three minutes and 28 seconds. Yeah, man. That's her first finish in the UFC. That makes me think that those odds you gave earlier were probably too low, actually. But, you know, Jan kind of returned to form because, like, I remember thinking a lot of the world of her uh, when she beat Claudia Gadelia. Um, who is a fighter that I feel like hasn't fought in a very long time. Did she retire? She did retire. Oh, she did she retire. Retired. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, but but you know, never, never believe that R word. Never yeah. believe that R word because we all know someone's going to come calling. Someone is going to come calling. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right, man. I want to give a shout-out to uh, Marina Rodriguez. Because uh, I think her days as a title challenger may be over because um, it's back-to-back losses, and she just got thoroughly out-wrestled by Jandaroba. But uh, Marina, you know, a hell of a fighter, an exciting striker, but Jesus Christ, that was an awful matchup, dude. 
she just got out. She just got wrestle wrestle effed the whole time by Verna. And I was hoping that was gonna be a like a dope barn burner, but it just wasn't. You know that that dude. I gotta say, you called it with um, Braxton Smith. You were talking about how, how if he doesn't put him away early, he's gonna get gassed, dude. He was gassed in seventy five seconds. I mean, the only person to get that to you know finish doing their stuff uh, that quickly is myself. Uh, but geez, man, Parker Porter. Yeah, had had his easy easy pickings. Yeah, I believe, I believe that was Parker Porter's first stoppage in the UFC, as I want to say. Uh, yeah, that was his first stoppage as, uh, in the UFC. His last stoppage came in CES. Damn, Braxton Smith's got to get on the Stairmaster, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, we we've gone all this time. We haven't talked about the main event. I, <laughs> Joe, I, I don't, I don't understand the scorecards in this one. I think there's a definite case you could say 4-1, Aljo, in this matchup. This, I mean, it, it's crazy how these scorecards could have played out. Henry Suda walks away as a champion. But, like, as you look forward, as looking, and one of the topics I want to bring up is is Aljo's place. If I say agree, disagree, Aljamain Sterling is the greatest bantamweight in UFC history. How do you disagree? Now, now, remember, I said UFC history. I didn't say all MMA history. I said UFC history because it is kind of crazy. The little note on Aljamain Sterling is the fact of he is now the first UFC bantamweight champion to make three consecutive title defenses. And look, I understand for a lot of the MMA fan base, they may never get past how he became the champion against Jan back in 2021. I get that. But when you start looking at his resume, I don't know how you don't call him currently the greatest bantamweight in UFC history. Now, if we want to talk about MMA history, now this is where Dominic Cruz comes into the equation, especially what he did in WC. But when you look at Dominic Cruz, I mean, this is the crazy thing about Dominic Cruz. You realize he only has seven wins in the UFC? That is really crazy. He made man. his UFC debut in 2011. Now, obviously, yeah. injuries have altered the career of Dominic Cruz, but I think when we talk about UFC bantamweights, greatest UFC bantamweights, I don't know how the conversation right now does not start with Aljo. Yeah, you're you're right. I mean, it's I do think it's a very close conversation. And the reason why I think it's a very close conversation is that when you look at Dom Cruz's wins over Faber, DJ, and Mizuka, well, Faber and D, damn, Cruz's UFC resume is just too little. I mean, Damn, look, I, I would, a, I would, I would say, close. I think you got to put the DJ uh, win back in 2011 at the top of this list because of how yeah. DJ's career went on with what he has done at, at 125 pounds, and then I would say his second best win I would put is TJ Dillashaw back in 2016. Yeah, yeah, I think you're. Well, I really like the win over Faber, uh, but you, the win over Dillashaw there too. The reason why I like the win over Faber more than the win over Dillashaw is that I feel like the win over Faber was more clear and convincing and, and showcased his skill set. Let me throw this out in as a kind of a counterpoint to that. Uriah Faber was what, 0-4 in UFC title fights? He was. Or at least UFC's uh Yeah, I think so. And granted he fought Jose Aldo a couple times, and that's never fun. But uh yeah, I mean 
I, I would say I'll just the best UFC bantamweight of all time. But now I, I think the interesting conversation, who's the best bantamweight of all time? Because I think we need to take into account that WEC run of Dom Cruz and compare their resumes because now it's closer. That dominance of Dom now is extended. You get the win over, over Benavides. You get the win over Brian Bowles, who was more respected at the time mm-hmm, than we yeah. think of now. Uh, the win over Scott Jorgensen. It just adds a little more to his resume. I think the reason why when you include the WEC run, I'm going of Dom over Aljo is not maybe what I see on paper, but what I remember feeling. And I remember feeling that Dom had clearly asserted himself as the best Bantamweight in the world. And I'm not sure Aljo's the best Bantamweight in his camp. (laughs) <laughs> I, I think it, it would be, okay i would say this like there's you know there's these these debates you have in terms of guys who are or females that train with each other that makes you go god how much would you pay to see a sparring session between this person this person like like you think back in the day like how much would you have paid to see kane and dc go at it in aka you know, how much would you have paid when they were teammates to see what did a man Nunez and Kayla Harrison sparring session look like? What does an Aljo and Marab sparring session sound like? The thing that, that stuck out to me, I was listening to Ray Longo on the Anakin Fornian podcast, and he was talking about what he was telling Aljo in the corner. And I, I don't know if he mentioned what round it was, but he said he just told Aljo, go, screw the wrestling. You're picking this guy apart on the feet. We don't even have to wrestle. And Ike, it's, I mean, look, give Henry Suhut all the credit in the world, but I mean, Aljo was the better man. I mean, there, there's not, there's not, I don't know how you watch that fight and not score for Aljo. But you're right, but it was closer than that. Like it was 3-2 Aljo. There was close, oh, no, no, no question there were close rounds. I just think that if like you, you look at that fight, I, I don't, I can't see thinking that Cejudo won three round three rounds. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think when you watch the fight, let's kind of look at what we saw here. Aljo was the better striker than Henry, largely due to the fact that he had a really good reach advantage and he kept on switching his stances. It did feel like Henry started to find some of the answers for the stand-up later in the fight. With the wrestling, Henry was the better wrestler when there was space. Whenever the fight got to the cage, that's when Aljo took over. But when there was space, I felt like Henry was out wrestling Aljo. But whenever it went up against the cages, whenever Sterling got that advantage, they were able to get tied down to get back control. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, if Derek clearly scores the fifth round for Henry Cejudo, which a lot, pretty much everyone gave the fifth round to Cejudo, Henry Cejudo is your UFC Bantamweight champion right now. Yeah, And, man, apparently, and apparently you're going to have to read a book at that point. I have his book in my closet. You know, uh, that's why I tweeted out that I would read his book uh, because I bought a bunch of books and I haven't read any of them. I'm like, oh, if Henry wins, that's going to inspire me to read a book in two days. So thankfully he lost because that would have been a struggle. You're like, but Oof. yeah, maybe I'll, I'll read his book before he fights next time. But uh, the thing with Aljo is like, dude, he's got the win over Dillashaw. But Dillashaw was not himself, obviously. Correct. He, he should have not have t- he should have not have fought that fight. 
He has the, the DQ win over Jan. And then the fights against Cejudo and Jan, the rematch with Jan, those are close fights. So you just look at every championship fight. I can kind of like pick pick those apart when it comes to like they aren't the dominant but Don Cruz wins. Look what he did before winning the title. The Corey Sanhagen fight to me is a fight that sticks out of, of how he was able to just uh, you know get the back. I mean, look, and you know, obviously the UFC wants to do him and Sean O'Malley in August in, in Boston. It doesn't seem like it's exactly on the timetable for Aljamain Sterling. Of course, we've seen how this plays out with the UFC. It's more more times than not, it's about their timeline, not the fighters' timeline. But like, I look at that potential matchup, and Daniel, I just go, this is a god. Awful matchup for Sean O'Malley. I mean, look, I get this guy has been working on the grappling side of this game for the last two years to get better, but man, I mean, like it's like Aljo said in the post-fight press conference. It goes, if I can take down an Olympic gold medalist, what do you think I'm going to do to Sean O'Malley? Yeah, the Sean O'Malley fight is probably sets up as the type of fight that's going to really look great on Aljo's resume. That sets up as the fight that's going to look very similar to maybe what he did against Sanhagen. And that's when you start being like, he is undoubtedly the best bantamweight of all time. Because I think he's on the track to, to do it. He may already be there, but he's on the track to make sure it's not a conversation. It's just a statement. It's just a fact. It's a bad matchup for Sean, no doubt about it. The deal is he's got a much different frame than so many guys Aljo's fought. The stand-up's going to be difficult for Aljo. Sean will be difficult, but it's going to be hard for – the thing is this, bro. Aljo does not look impressive when it comes to shooting in for a takedown. I know he was shooting in against Henry, and I know Sean is a much worse wrestler than Henry, but Sean did show impressive abilities against Peter Jan in that aspect of the game. So for Sean, he's just not – to. he's got to not be against the cage because I think he might have some success if he keeps that distance yeah. and he's fending off the wrestling – when his back's not against the cage. Back against the cage, bro, just like he said, awful matchup, game over. And if Aljo gets on the back of, of Sean O'Malley, I'm telling you, it, it's absolutely over. It, it's 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 done. You get out. Also, like one of my other takeaways, before we kind of move on to uh, agree, disagree, we want to talk about Sean O'Malley, is Henry Cejudo, I don't want to see him at 145 because it's just he's just not going to have the size to compete with some of those monsters at 145. I mean, he should be a 35er. I mean, I don't, I don't think he wants to try to make 25 at this point in his life. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see if Cejudo gets in who, there. Who do you want to see him fight? Who do you want to see him fight next? Marab. I think the answer's off. Yeah, the answer's obvious, isn't it? Yeah, Rob I mean, like, Marab's got to be right there. I mean, I mean, like, Aljo's making it clear what, what his intentions are. I mean, he's not letting – it's not a surprise what he wants to do. But I was I was mentioning – I was mentioning a little earlier, I was listening to Anakin Ford and podcasts and listening – because I want to hear what Ray Longo had to say about Aljo. And there was something that John Anik said in while they were talking about Sean O'Malley, and he called Sean O'Malley a top five UFC needle mover. Now, the reason that sticks out to me is, well, at the end of the day, John Anik is the head play-by-play guy for the UFC, which in the back of my mind makes me think someone in the UFC has told him this. And so it kind of it, it, it kind of goes this agree-disagree of whether Sean O'Malley is a top five needle mover. And so as I started thinking about this, the top two needle movers in the UFC are very clear. It's Conor McGregor, if we ever see Conor McGregor fight again. I would imagine we will. And John Jones. 
Number three, and you brought this name up, Izzy. Okay. Then I don't know who you put four or five, so I would probably agree that Sean O'Malley is a top five Neil mover for the UFC. Yeah, let me pull up this list real quick that I thought was very interesting. I just wanted to Google it to give to give a give a look at it. Uh, this this list is from February 2023, and the the title is most uh, Instagram followers for MA fighters. So okay. one is Connor by a big margin, two is Izzy, and there's a gap. It's 45 mil to seven mil. Number oh, wow. three is Charles Oliveira. Oh, so wow. that's interesting. He, at this point of the article, he has 0.1 mil more than Jones. Then it's Jones, then it's Mahachev, then Chimaev, then Poirier, then Usman, then Holloway, then Masvidal, then O'Malley. Okay, those are the names we can work with. So let me ask you, who's a bigger needle mover, Jorge Masvidal or Sean O'Malley? May 2023? May 2023? Yeah. I'd probably say O'Malley. Yeah, I think so. O'Malley or Chimaev? I think I would put Chimaev at four. So you would put him above Sean? Yeah. Okay, so we might we might put I, Sean I think out it, of here. I think it, it, now, look, I think Sean O'Malley probably has the ability to bring an audience to a UFC pay-per-view that a lot of fighters cannot bring to a pay-per-view because of what he has done outside of MMA with what he's doing in terms of his YouTube channel, Twitch, all those type of things. I think in terms of a MMA audience, Chemayev is that guy that I think everyone looks at and go, when that guy's fighting, we got to watch him fight. I like, agree with you. Like I, if you sat there and said like, like I got the UFC rankings up in front of me. And like, as I look at the top 15 here and I think of the, who gets Jason to the television set to watch fights live? Number 12 is a guy who I think is probably quietly getting there. And Saturday is going to be a very good indication of what he's about. Jalton Almeida. He's not there quite yet, but he's getting there. That's a guy that, you know, you could be talking about a year from now is challenging whether it's John Jones or, or somebody else for the UFC heavyweight title. Even though he's not the fighter he once was, Derek Lewis is fighting. I'm watching because I know what I'm getting out of that one. Then, you know, I got to go to number six on the on the. Uh, I'm looking at the heavyweight rankings here. Uh, <laughs> n- number number six. You know, Tatu of Asa's fighting. You know, I'm watching. You know, I'm watching. Uh, I just pull, so look at the I just pull the power for power rankings. Well, I'll say for Ma- Max, Hall- Max Holloway is one of those guys that gets me to the television set no matter where he's fighting. Yuri Prohoshka is another one. What's that? Does he move the needle more than Sean? Does Max move the needle more than Sean O'Malley? <sighs> it's close, isn't I it? I think it depends on the type of fan you ask. I think yeah. if you talk about that purist... Mixed martial arts fan, I still think Max Holloway would say it, but I think it goes back to what I said. Matt, uh, Sean has the ability to bring a different fan to the television set than Max Holloway has. Okay. Who moves the needle more? Sean O'Malley or um, Cejudo? Sean. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So I think I think what we're saying here is Sean is like number five. But and by the way, how big of a gap do you think there is in needle moverness between Sean and Patty Pimblet? Is it a big gap? Is it a small gap? Patty's kind of in his mold. He's just not as good of a fighter, obviously. You know, Sean is yeah, legitimately and, a championship level fighter at this point. Yeah, and it sounds like Patty's not going to fight for the rest of the year. Apparently, that ankle injury is pretty bad. Well, he should he should he should do that because he the last thing he needs is to come out and look flat. Right. Like he he if he loses in a bad way, that's really going to affect his stock. So Patty needs to be protective of himself and that he needs to perform well. So that makes sense. Right. He, yeah. That's something Muhammad Mukayev, who also is a bit of a needle mover himself, needs to pay attention to, especially because he's so young. Like I'm just looking at this pound for pound list, and I also think it goes to. Where like if you sat there and said, is Islam Mahachev? A needle mover. I think if we talk about the United States, that answer is no. I go to Russia. We're talking about a totally different story. I think Islam Mahachev is a needle mover in terms of he's a really good opponent. If you have a star fighter that people get into, like a prime Nate Diaz, Islam Mahachev represents a great opponent, and now you got a big pay per view. But Islam Mahachev as the star with can't carry people i believe right now to big pay-per-view numbers he needs to be a part of a captivating story and his pure dominance makes that story jump up tenfold because he's so good but alone no he is not a needle mover in the united states it's kind of crazy i'm just looking at these updated ufc rankings the fact that sean o'malley is ranked ahead of henry cejudo yeah henry would beat him Although Sean might be able to catch him, but Henry's very tough to knock out. But Henry would probably beat that dude. Yeah, I just, I'm just kind of looking at, at some of these rankings. I, I just um, try to see where some of these. Uh, there really wasn't much changes. I mean, obviously a lot of changes at women's strawway with uh, uh, Jan Janan now at number three, jumping up three spots. So she's behind uh, Rose Namajunas and did, Carla Sparzo. And, and I Carla, got a question. Did. did did Diego Lopez become a top 15 featherweight with a loss? <laughs> he did not, but hey, man, you got to give that dude some massive credit. Stepping up on just a couple of days' notice, going up against a straight-up killer, and good Lord, like, there was a moment you're like, holy crap, is he about to pull this thing off? Dude, I thought he was going to win this fight after the first round. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd hit you up, and I was like, I think this dude's about to pull off this crazy upset, man. Yo, Diego, that fight camp's got something special brewing with Alexa Grasso and Adanya, and Diego is their grappling coach. His grappling is so fun to watch, bro. Like, he gets on his back. He's throwing up submissions. He might catch you. And the other thing is, when he was striking with Mosar, who everyone has penciled in as a future Volkanovski challenger, Mm -hmm. he was outstriking that dude, man, at times. He was outstriking him. So, yes, Diego, dude. Wow. I did not think highly of him. I did not expect him to perform well. I thought he was going to get beat up pretty bad. And I was really excited when this happened because I drafted that fight. And I was like, hell, yeah, this is a badass fight. But, uh, dude, Diego's, like, really good. I'm excited to see him, you know, in his next fight. I'll tell you who I was wrong about. I don't have an apology to. I'm sorry, Matt Pavola. For just not giving you a chance, then I, I I just thought Do- Dober was gonna you know you know take him out and man and uh, yeah man Matt Vola, you talk about after getting KO'd in seven seconds 
by Terrence McKinney now has these three back to uh, three straight first round knockout victories, and uh, you know, gonna be interesting to kind of see what they do with him. Um, you know, his coach Ray Longo said that he's willing to fight someone underneath him if if that's what the fight that gets booked there. But uh, man, that that was an impressive victory there. And bro, we got to. Uh, you're right. We also got to mention this one dude because he might come after us if we don't say his name. Dude's the real deal. Ikram Alaskarov. This dude's the real deal, man. Uh, look, this guy look, comes in, drops Phil Hawes. Oof. Dude, how many dudes are going out there and calling out Bo Nickel? Yeah, man. The thing is, Bo Nickel ain't someone I would want to call out as a damn good <laughs> fighter. But, dude, Ikram's like the first guy to call out Bo Nickel where I'm like, he might give Bo some problems. Because Ikram, this dude, this dude looks legitness. Like I'm, I'm hyped for this guy's career. I don't remember his contender series fight. I love the fact that he's from Dagestan. You know, uh, oh damn, he has a loss to Chimaev. Interesting. Uh, that's cool. But yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Ikram's career. Man, this guy is like, I, I saw his performance. I saw his resume, his record. And his call out, and I was like, out of so many of these people on the prelims, he's the one I'm probably looking forward to the most, seeing what they're going to do in their career. Now, in terms of uh, things that have happened in MMA over the past couple of days, earlier this morning, I'm just kind of scrolling around social media, and I go, well, I guess we just got answered the question, is drug testing happening in the PFL? We had four fighters test positive uh, for a banned substance. The substance is unknown of what they tested positive for. Uh, Tiago Santos was one of them, and I got to give Adam Martin a lot of credit for this tweet he had today. He goes, last March, Tiago Santos received his USADA Letterman jacket for 50 clean drug tests in the UFC. A year later, he tested positive for banned substance in his debut at the PFL. You can't make this kind of stuff up. This is so MMA. And I quoted the tweet of like going, where's Gus Johnson when we need him? These things happen in MMA. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, it's interesting. I wonder what the drug was. I wonder if it was some type of steroid or whatever. And, um, and, and the crazy thing, the fact of two of the four fighters are both former UFC fighters. Yeah, you got Jocko and Santos who are the UFC fighters. And you got... Um, Bruno Capaloza and Rizvan Kuniev, two heavyweights that got it. What's going to happen here? Because what? These guys are out of the tournament? Are there? Is there going to be replacement fighters? What's well, the now deal? They would, Do you know? They would be going under um, suspe- a temporary suspension, so they wouldn't be able to fight. So they're going to be yeah, out. Yeah, that's you know, true. You know, whenever so the next fight here. Do you think? Yeah, I mean – Obviously, I think if you're a PFL, you got to find replacements potentially for the, these fighters in the tournament. I mean, I think if you're the PFL, while it sucks that you had fighters, you know, fail their their fight night drug test, which is an IQ test. Let's just call it what it is. That's an IQ test. Yeah, the random drug test is what should get somebody. Yeah, right? like if you it's, fell out of yeah. competition drug test where they just magically showed up and drug test you. Okay, but man, it's an IQ test, man. That's an IQ test. Yeah, yeah, it, it is, it is. I mean, it's like you know when you're getting tested. It's going to happen. You know how long it takes for something to get out of your system. What we're saying is not don't cheat. We're seeing cheat better, guys, okay? Cheat be smart smarter. about it, man. You got to be smart about it. Yeah, be smart about it. Don't be a dumb cheater like, uh, you know, Tristan Thompson. You know, be a smart cheater. Get yeah. out there. 
yeah. I mean, so I saw that other thing I, I saw, um, and it was a couple of days ago, and, and I, I spoke to Mike Mazzulli about this a little bit. Uh, there was an article over at uh, MMAJunkie.com written by Nolan King, and the title of the article was To Knee or Not to Knee, ABC, Association of Boxing Michigan Combative Sports, in Colorado, at odds over one championship's rule set being used in the United States. Of course, we all know one championship had their, their U.S. debut there, Last week, I did watch a little bit of event. And so this was prior to the event. This was Missouri's, uh quote uh, to Nolan. He says, the Association of Boxing Commissions are very disappointed in the state of Colorado regarding the upcoming one championship event on May 6, 2023. Colorado is stepping back decades regarding health and safety. In fact, if the executive director in Colorado has any medical documentation or studies that show knees to the head of the grounded opponent is safer, he should share the information with the ABC. At first glance, it appears the state of Colorado has amended the rules simply to attract a promotion. The ABC rules specify no needs to the head of a ground opponent because the organization believes a commission's first obligation must be fighter safety. Rule changes should always have fighter safety at the forefront. And it can, uh, finishes off with one championship is welcome to bring their promotions to the United States, but they should be using the unified rules. The liability that the state of Colorado is incurring with this rule amendment is staggering now the state of colorado did issue a statement what i found very interesting was the statement did not come from the head of the colorado commission it came from a spokesperson lee rasner that said quote the colorado combat sports commission allows for third-party sanctioning events provided that the sanctioning body meets the requirements under rule 1.4 including review review and approval of rules by the director goes on to say one championship submitted a rules that were reviewed and approved in 2021 and will be in effect for the first time for Friday's card at the First Bank Center in Broomfield. The state of Colorado's first concern has always been fighter safety. Rules have no way been amended to attract a promotion. In fact, unlike other states, the commission adopted the unified mixed unified rules of mixed martial arts set forth by the Associated Boxing Commission without deviation. So let, let me say this, and I, and I said this on the, on the podcast a couple weeks ago. I understand there are people in the media that enjoy having the open dialogue they have with the Colorado executive director, which is Tony Cummings. Just understand this. One championship commission shop Colorado, and they were the only commission that was willing to adopt the one championship rules. To give you a further example, one championship was trying to go to the state of Hawaii in 2019. They were told the event will only happen if the unified rules of MMA are in effect. I have been told for some time now that one championship had agreed to that rule set. And so I don't know if we're going to see one championship in another state besides Colorado, but for the, the, the media out there that sits there and loves that you have an executive director that loves to talk on social media. He got commission shopped. Yeah. And, if the, no and, 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 that. and let me say this. If the UFC or Bellator did that, what would the outrage be? Yeah. I mean, and there has been outrage when it comes to the UFC making slap fighting a thing in Nevada. And, and so we've seen what it's like. 
And the UFC is no stranger to bullying, a, not bullying, that is the wrong word, is no stranger to using a commission to get what they want, even when it maybe doesn't make sense. We saw that in slap fighting, but there's no doubt that this is commission shopping. Without a doubt, Jason, there's two questions here. The first question is, should a commission be unified with other commissions? And I think the answer is yes, so they can work together and not have promotions that are endangering fighters with rule sets. It's important to have a unified front like the ABC. <laughs> Pro. But the commissions have not been unified for a long goddamn time. Yeah. yeah. It's be- it's You're better right. it's better now than it was at one time. But yeah, I mean like it, But here's, it, here's the other thing. Go ahead. All all these commissions are talking about like fighter safety. Our number one priority is fighter safety. Now now let's move on to the discussion about now I'm moving on to the discussion about knees to down opponent. Bro, it's mixed martial arts. It's not a safe sport. You want to make this sport safe? It's, it's, then it's, whoa, whoa, whoa. You say, you, you're saying <laughs> punching each other is not safe? Yeah, I'm saying when the goal is to separate somebody from their consciousness, it's not safe. I hate all this rhetoric about how <laughs> we care about the safety of the fighters. I know you do, but you aren't. This isn't a safe sport. You are giving people brain damage every time they fight. I say this as someone who's pursuing a love of professional wrestling. I understand why people pursue MMA. I know what's going to happen to me every time I drop myself on my head. Mm-hmm, yeah. Fighters know. So let's do away with the BS about fighter safety with all this stupid rhetoric. The real conversation is what is the line when it comes to how much – like what are we determining what should and shouldn't be an illegal strike? That's what I'm interested in. What is the reasoning for why a knee to a grounded opponent is not a strike? And, and I'm not saying I'm one way or the other. What I want to know is it because you're proving that a fighter can unload that much force? I don't know. I really want to know specifically what makes a knee to a grounded opponent illegal when you compare it to a knee to a standing opponent. They're both vicious, and I agree with the idea. I just would like to see the work around it. I know we have listeners who live in the state of Colorado, and I'm going to tell you something that you're probably not going to like to hear. Do not expect the UFC in the state of Colorado anytime soon. Talk, talk to me about that. Kind of elaborate more on why they're it's, not going to do It's that. all about this. It's all about the fact that they, they got commission shopped and they adopted rules that were not the unified rules of mixed martial arts. Yeah. So you that's got, I, you got to remember, like you got to remember who runs regulatory affairs for the UFC, Mark Ratner. Yeah. If the UFC is not yeah. willing to come to your your state, I think that's very telling. And and and, you know, for Colorado fans, if you're hearing this, and you're not feeling too good. Like, roll yourself a joint and smoke it, because at least eventually the UFC will come back. Just not anytime soon. They will come back because their first ever event was in Denver. So, like, at some point, they got to come back. Like, for UFC, okay. you know, 500, you got to come back if that's where your first event was. But it's going to be a good while. And it's not like they're going to have the same athletic director. I, I enjoy going to Colorado. I enjoy going to Colorado. Enough said. I, I, like, to go said. Shop, I like to go shopping. Enough said with your smirk. Your <laughs> Snoop Dogg smirk. <laughs> I'm telling you, for for people who maybe have 
walk into a dispensary. It can be overwhelming. It can be overwhelming, Daniel. Just saying. You just if you don't, if you don't really know high. what you want, let's just say that. Yeah. yeah. I guess. I but if you know there. what you want, it's a good time. You, 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 at at uh, some dispensaries, you know what they call your salesperson. What? No, I don't. Your the, your friend, the, the bud tender. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I I, I like that. I like that. I like a bud tender. Yeah. yeah. I wonder which one FC fighter went to get uh, some bud. You know, Sage Northcutt out here getting some weed. Uh, okay. I feel if, like you, if you Johnson. told me, if you told me Sage partakes in weed, I would. That would shock me. I feel like I, Sage I know I should like, not. I should not be shocked by anyone who might be like minded, but I just I don't know. Sage just seems like a guy that like. Probably's never had an ounce of alcohol in his life. Probably's, you know, like, like, look, I I remember um, Brian Cox, uh, where he he would tell people, like, he goes, if you don't have a vice, I can't trust you. And I'm telling you, that is spot on advice. If you don't have a vice, I I got questions. Because what do you do when you're having a bad day? I mean, like, look, I'm ha- if I have a bad day, I might, I might go to the fridge. I might get, you know, get a beer. I might pop a cookie. Who knows? Jason, I think you do that every day. I, do, I, <laughs> I, I would tell you this. I was, okay. I, so I go to, uh, I go to the Super Target last night. Because I, I had to get some stuff from the house. I had never been to a Super Target before. I've been to a regular Target. Never been to a Super Target. And I walk in, they have a full-scale liquor store. Oh, wow. The one I went to didn't have a full-scale liquor oh, store. Oh, God. I, I mean, literally, I, I, I walked in the, the grocery entrance, and I'm like, I look over, I go, oh, my God. That is a full-scale liquor store. I'm like, okay, okay. So I ended up, I, get, I had to get some things, and uh, I got a six-pack of Modelo, six-pack of Stella. Give me, a little, give me a little variety in the fridge. Yeah, and uh, I got carded by the way, which I felt really damn good about myself. Of course, the cashier, this dude, could not have been twenty one. And let's just say right. I think he partakes in the uh, the you know the the weed because boy, he was going <laughs> slow. <laughs> I was looking at him going, yeah, I guarantee he's got a favorite strain. Yeah, yeah, he's just working to pay it off. I, uh, I, you know, the guy's just having a good time. But yeah, I feel like you should be happy you got carded, man. You know, that's, I, that's, dude, man. When you know, look, I mean, I was like, oh man, I got carded. All right, I mean, dude, I'm I'm 41 years old. I get carded. Like, I mean, look, if a bartender would card me at a bar, guarantee, like, I'm a big, t- I'm a, I'm a big tipper when it, it just be working in the industry. I probably tip anywhere from 30 to 40 plus percent whatever the tab yeah. is. Like if if as a if you see me walk into your bar and you're the bartender, yeah, just card me. You're getting an additional tip. You're probably getting 50% at that point. Damn, that is hilarious. Yeah, I feel like if you're a bartender, you always have to card people that are like in their see, 30s and, or 40s. And look, Dale, since you're a little bit younger, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a tip on the bar. 
If you go into a bar that's packed, pay in cash your first time. Just say you're getting two beers, one one for you, you know, whether you're late to get some beer, or maybe she wants a, a liquor drink, and then just give them like $10 tip. Guarantee you, every time you walk up to that bar, you ain't waiting for a drink. Okay. Okay, I'm going to – I don't go to the bars often, but I will do that. It's got to be a packed bar because yeah. they see you roll up to that bar, they're like, oh – that's the dude that gave me a good tip last time. He's going straight to the front of the line. Do you have to keep on tipping people, or do you pay with your card? I think you just put your card down. Uh, but you, yeah. you, you've you made the initial, like, hey, here's a little extra dough. Second drink, here's my card. Go from there. Yeah. That's yeah. your Jason a tip of the week. But Jason knows his, knows his crap about that. You know your – you know dude, your, you got to remember, your, man, like, when I, I started in radio when I was 21 years old. And I was working club gigs three nights a week. You learn things. You learn things. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, Jason, I mean, <laughs> you got any tips for this week? Because uh, I tell you what, I, uh, I I'm not feeling good after after myself picking Burns last week. You got any? You got any strong takes about this week of MMA or no? I think the Bellator card is underrated for what we're getting. I agree. Now, it's a now look. It's a Friday afternoon card in Paris, so you know for a lot of people, you may be you may still be at work when this thing is going on 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 Showtime. Um, you know, I, I personally watch Bellator. I, I've got Showtime via the uh, Paramount Network, which is uh, Paramount Plus, I should say, which is a great deal. Check it out. But like a solid main event of Fabian Edwards and Gegard Mousasi. Like I was saying this the other day, I was like, is Gegard Mousasi one of the most underrated fighters in MMA history? Yes. Because if you're doing a list of greatest fighters of all time, he comes up a lot sooner than you would think. He, he sh- and he should. He should, yeah. I think his biggest blemish is never winning a UFC championship. No doubt. But no doubt. if you're doing a list of greatest fighters to have never won a UFC championship, he's not too far behind Fedor. Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Yeah, um, I mean, like, you start you start going back, and, 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 and look, he has been fighting since 2003. So you can go oh back a God. long time. But you, you talk about notable wins on his career. Douglas Lima, Rory McDonald, Chris Weidman. I mean, I mean, you, yeah. Yeah, that's in, in 2017. Vitor Belfort's another a notable one. Dan Henderson. I mean, he's got a ton of notable wins. But, like, I was just thinking about it earlier this week, and, I mean, obviously he's an OG of the sport, but I'm like – he just does. I don't think he gets the recognition he should get. Yeah, and don't forget, like early on in his career, this dude beat Jacare. You know, he beat Mark Hunt, beat Babalu, and Babalu was really good. He, he was. He's consistently been to me like the second or third best light heavyweight for a while. Uh, you know, top five middleweight. So he's very underrated. So you're right, and the thing is, at some point, and and. At some point, you know, he's going to age out and he's going to look mm-hmm. his age. And for him, he's 37, but he even has an older fight career. I don't know if Fabian Edwards is going to be that guy that can expose him like that. But Fabian is on a nice little run. And the thing is, Fabian is a really good stand-up fighter, Jason. He is. But I'm not smelling the upset. Are you? I- I'm not smelling the upset either. I mean, if I'm John Salter, or not John, not John Salter. John Salter. <laughs> 
if I'm Johnny Eblen, uh, you're probably rooting for a Gegard Mousasi win because that's going to be the most probably recognizable matchup uh, that you can make here. Uh, of course, it's I'm just I'm, I'm over at BestFightOdds.com. It's okay, kind of yes. crazy to me. Yes, yes. That I Douglas Lima is a un, a betting underdog versus Costello Van Stinas. Dude, I was going to bring that up early on. I was going to say, do you know what the craziest thing is? And that's what I was going to bring up. I want to pull this up right now to see what did it open at. Okay, it opened up with Costello as a as a dog at plus 140. So it's closed. And we've seen a 41.6% line movement downwards. Uh, that's pretty big. So what that's telling you is the smart money thinks Lima's aged out and Vanstein is going to take advantage of it. Do you agree with the smart money? I'm just, I mean, even though Douglas is a, has been a massive 170, right? I do kind of wonder now you're going up 15 pounds. What's that look like? Um, I, I would say that it probably should be at worst to pick him in terms of this one, but um, it wouldn't surprise me if Costello goes out there. I mean, I'm a little surprised to see how big of a betting underdog uh, premises against uh, Benaria at, at plus 260. That one's kind of interesting to me. But, like, I, I just I look at this main card for, for Bellator, and I think it's a sneaky good one. I mean, it's going to start at 4 o'clock Eastern time here in the, uh, here on the East Coast uh, on Friday. But that that it's, I think it's a decent fight card that they have there. I mean, it's a, I mean, Jesus, they've got, like, 16 fights. <laughs> so, I mean, if, you, if, you're, yeah. uh, if you're looking to uh, just watch the MMA while you work on Friday, Bellator's got you covered. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, some good stuff on the prelims, but um, overall, I do think this is a good main card for hardcore fans. I think if you're looking for my picks, I've got a uh, Musasi. I'm gonna go with Lima or Van Stinas, but I really don't feel good about it. I'm gonna go with Barnawi and uh, go Goiti. So I guess I'm going all the favorites except Lima, the slight dog. But I like what you said. I think for premise, he has that clear path to victory with the grappling, that's why he shouldn't be such a favorite. I feel like if you parlayed Bellator favorites every every week, every Bellator card, you probably end up making money at the end of the day. Well, dude, that's also something that could be said for Strike Force. Yeah, that's so, that's very true. Uh, then, of course, yeah. Saturday we've got the UFC card there in Charlotte. Afternoon card on ABC. Main card starts 3 p.m. Eastern time. Headlined by a match between Jonathan Almeida and Jarzino Rosenstruck. Rosenstruck is a massive betting underdog. This one, a four to one betting underdog. I thought it was interesting that uh, you know, so Anik and Florida are now sponsored by DraftKings, and they were um, Jan, John was saying that at that time when they recorded the show that 84 percent of the bets. We're on Jazeera Rosenstruck. Did not say the amount of, it, not 84% of the money, just the bets. Obviously, everyone's looking at there. I mean, I, I think if if Rosenstruck can survive an early onslaught from Jolta Almeida, I think it that, you know makes the fight interesting. But I'm expecting a Jolta Almeida first-round victory. Uh, Anthony Smith-Johnny Walker is an interesting matchup. Uh, you, I mean, you mentioned about it, and I thought it was a great pick you had last week of Daniel Rodriguez and, and Ian Gary. Um, I, I feel like there's going to be a lot of people are going to look at that plus money on, on Daniel Rodriguez. Um, Ian Gary, he's one of those guys, and I, I think I said it before his last fight, like someone's going to catch him at some point. You just don't know when it's going to be. And I, I don't know if Daniel Rodriguez is that guy, but someone's going to catch him there. Um you know, us, us OG fans of sport, I, I, you know, there, there's a, a little sentimental part of me just kind of like that Court McGee, Matt Brown, just two OGs of the sport. 
I tell you what, I'm yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that fight. Court McGee, I remember his story going back to the Ultimate Fighter. I believe he was he was an addict. If I yeah, I, I, I yeah. will tell you, I was in the building the night he won the Ultimate Fighter, and yeah, that was an incredible moment. Dude, I can't even tell you who he beat. Who did he beat? You remember? Let's uh, see. If, let's no. see if you can get it. Let's see if you. Oh, you, oh my I'm, God! I'm try, there's uh, no way you're gonna get it, dude. There's no way you're gonna get it. I forgot this dude existed. Uh, his name is, and now I remember him, Chris McRae. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, yeah. I forgot he he would go on to just lose his next two UFC fights and then call it a day. That is a name that escapes me, and that's because he was really impressive. But was that the Felipe Nova season or no? I do not believe so. Oh wait, no. I'm sorry. Felipe Nova is probably season whichever, whichever one. Efren I want to say it was like season won. nine, maybe. Whichever one Efren Escudero won. I think it was Team Noguera versus. Uh, uh, season eleven was Team Liddell versus Team Ortiz. If you remember correctly, Tito ends up pulling out of the show at like near the end. Rich Franklin comes in. And then, of course, Rich Franklin knocks out Chuck Liddell at that. Uh, how was it? Was it a Vancouver pay per view? Did Tito pull out of the show because of injury? Yeah, I want. I, yeah, I want to say it was a neck injury. Wow. Yeah. Memory lane, man. Memory lane. Well, you know, if you're looking at former Ultimate Fighter fighters, I mean, Brian Battle, who I believe won a season recently, is uh, trying to bounce back, and that's a good prelim fight. I think one of the most interesting prelim fights is probably Stamen and Douglas Andrade, but also Natan Levy in the UFC is a very interesting situation there going up against uh, Pete Rodriguez. But, Jason, to circle back, I like Daniel Rodriguez to upset Ian Gary here. Ian Gary has just left a lot of food on the table in his fights. He's got hit. Daniel hits hard. I think Rodriguez spoils the hype train. I'm picking Rodriguez to pull off the upset. Dude, I am just over at Tapology, and I just clicked on Ultimate Fighter. I'm on page 12 of how many Ultimate Fighter uh, things they have on here. Yeah, man. There's been about 47 seasons. I wonder if more than 50% of the UFC roster has ultimate fighter experience. The answer is probably I, I, no. Okay. I, if you said ultimate fire or contender series, I would be surprised if that number is south of 35%. Me too. I think, I think it's more than 50% have contender series or ultimate fighter experience for real. I'm, I, I'm, I think it's between 40 and 50. Yeah. I would be very interested to see what those numbers are. Uh, I don't know what poor soul is going to have to do that, but I would like for that. To, I would like to know that. Well, don't don't worry. Every time Dana White does that video of uh, what you need, or whatever, whatever the hell he calls it, what do you need to know? And, and he's in front of that the, the war room there at the UFC offices, and they always have like a little emblem that says whether they were tough or contender series, and it feels like it's happens uh, more times than not. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got I got Johnson too, but I see why people are picking Jair because for one, if he wins, it's going to be a finish on DraftKings. Okay. Two, he's under he's undervalued because like Almeida, we all know how good he is, but he also hasn't beaten that many high quality heavyweights, and Jair is a high quality heavyweight. Still though, it's pretty easy to prognosticate that Almeida is going to go in there, bring him down, and tap him out. So that's my pick. Co-main event, bro. I got a. Uh, I got Johnny Walker, but I don't feel good about it. I'm just selling my 
Anthony Smith stock because I feel like it's about time that he might just hang it up and just focus totally on the broadcast, whereas Johnny Walker has really figured things out. But Anthony's, you know, is a really good fighter. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. Of course, we did lose the Angela Hill McKenzie Dern fight because that is now the main event of the May 20th fight night card. Of course, that was going to be headlined by Raquel Pennington and Arena Aldana. Of course, Arena Aldana now going to be challenging Amanda Nunez for the title at UFC 289. Raquel Pennington will now be the backup fighter for that matchup. And good Lord, I do not. I, I hope Arena Aldana makes a fight night because I really do not want to see Amanda Nunez, Raquel Pennington. No. Saw it already. Don't need to see it again. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it's Aldania Nunez because that's actually an interesting fight. Like, yeah, I'm I mean, excited to see how those two f- score off on the feet. It, it's just there's sometimes where you learn what some of these UFC main events are, and I'm just going, we're just doing some damn fights. We're doing some damn yeah, fights. Hill and Dern is a really bad main event. It's 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 a really really. It's at at the apex, bro. I know. I know. They got to stop doing cards at the apex. It sucks. I mean, look, if you looked at this card and you did not know it was in Charlotte, would you think it's an apex card? Let me see. Um, Yeah, I would. I would. I mean, the only reason I would say, the only reason I would say no, I'd be like, eh. If it's an Apex card, they probably could put Anthony Smith and Johnny Walker as a main event on another Apex card. Yeah. Also, like Matt Brown and Court McGee is a weird prelim fight for the Apex, but it's not that far off from your stereotypical Apex card. Yeah, I know. I mean, it, it's just, it's sometimes, and like, look, I love this sport. I love watching fights, but there's just sometimes I look at some of these cards and I go, man, I live in Florida, bro. We open here. It's, it's May. It feels good outside. It's an afternoon. I just want to be at the yeah. beach. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. But, but, you know but also, like, I could be on the beach and I could have the fights on my phone. Yeah, that's a good idea. And, and like, you can have some brunch, too, with the fights. You know, it's going to be early in the day. Uh, you can have uh, some, uh, it's funny you say that. I was talking to somebody about brunch the other day. We were talking, go to brunch food item i had some great brunch in tallahassee there, there's this place i go i go to called the edson awesome place if you're in tallahassee be sure to go there but to me go to brunch item chicken and waffles that's that's great because that is unquestionably a brunch item it's got the chicken which is the lunch it's got the waffles i agree with you that's that's the best one it's. I don't know if it's considered a brunch option per se, but uh, I, I've been to this brunch place before, and I effing love crab cakes. Oh. I love crab cakes, and I feel like that's kind of like that's been on the brunch menu. I I, I love me some crab cakes. Yeah, Those no, are just no, delicious. man. Delicious. No, I, I'm I'm about the crab cakes. Yeah, man. But but honestly, I think chicken and waffles is the is the best brunch option. Like, I wonder if I Google best brunch options, what else is there? Because I'm not a brunch aficionado. I, I, I feel I feel like it, it, Bloody Mary mimosa is going to be part of that equation. Yeah, I, yeah, I do. Oh, I man. do like me a Bloody Mary. I, I, I it's an every once in a while type thing for me for a Bloody Mary. I mean, I might have maybe one or two a year. I'm not huge on I mimosas. Love- I loved going to get a Bloody Mary's in Las Vegas. That that I dig. 
Yeah. You know, wake up in the morning, order a Bloody Mary, and get on with the day. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I'm with you. I, I love me a good brunch, you know? Let me, let me ask you something. How many fighters do you think have had alcohol the same day before they fought a UFC fight? Well, we know Tatu Vasa probably does. <laughs> I, I, I would, I, day of the fight, I, under 10%. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. 10% is crazy. Like, we're I, talking. I feel, I feel like if we're talking non heavyweights, I kind of feel like a lot of fighters probably rarely have something to drink during a fight camp. Maybe they have one, yeah. two. I mean, Aljo talked about it last week. He talked about how he abstained from alcohol. And he said he goes, usually that was like his thing. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I guess apparently it was, a, apparently, I guess it was a tough weight cut for Aljo, too. Yeah, Paulo Costa also probably partaked in the alcohol. Secret juice, come on, secret juice. Secret juice, yeah, yeah, I agree. And and again, John Jones, you know, has has talked about going out before see, the fight. See, okay, see here, here, here would be my issue. You know, you, you see these memes, videos online about just going off to have one drink. I, I don't know about that. I, I'm not. If you if you say if I come to Rio Grande, and you're like, hey, Jason, let's go out for one drink. I'll be like, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. That's why we're the same person, basically. That's why we got to we got to meet and uh, we got to drink because I agree with you. You know, you can't just have one. What are you doing? What are you doing there? Got to have a cup. They need you know they need their friends. Uh, one of my best lines, my dad said to me, he said, he goes, if there's one beer left in the fridge, you cannot leave a soldier behind. Dude, you see, that's brilliant. That is absolutely true, my man. It is absolutely true. Can't be lonely there in the fridge, my man. No, no, man. But yeah, I mean, I, I do not expect to be watching the UFC live on Saturday, but I'll catch it after the fact. Um, It's just like, if you told me, I think Marone to means could be kind of sneaky, you know, fun to watch. Um, I am interested to see what Ian Gary does look like. The, you know, this is a guy that's kind of gone around to all these type of shows, uh, or excuse me, all these type of gyms. And uh, I mean, Jalton Almeida is, I mean, look, you, you talk about, you know, guys who could potentially be, you know, have that ceiling UFC champion. Jalton Almeida is one of those guys. Yeah. I think you're looking at those heavyweights that could fight for a championship within the next year and a half. I think, uh, the two highest prospects other than Pavlovich have to be Jalton and Tom Aspinall. I think those are the names you kind of circle as the future of this weight class. Pavlovich, Aspinall, and Almeida. And Almeida has an opportunity to prove it on Saturday. Romanoff would have been one of those guys at one point. I just I, I question whether he's got the gas tank, yeah, especially you know, fight gets into the third round or even the fourth or fifth round. I, just, I don't think he has gas tank. And how, how does Aspinall come back from a knee injury? I think that's kind of an, an interesting thing to see how that that one plays out. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think his reputation has really shifted over the past few performances, yeah. and so I think you kind of take him out of that category. Yeah, no doubt about it. But of course, we, as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast. Of course, uh, episodes come out here in the middle of the week. As always, we appreciate you taking time out. Of course, uh, if you're listening to us on the podcasting platforms, rate, review, subscribe, all of that. Of course, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, and leave a comment below about anything you heard me and Daniel talk about here on this episode of the MA Report Podcast. <laughs>